Achoo! Bless me. We must have fallen asleep for our Christmas break, but now we're back. And in Zach's and my area, guess what else is back as we record Cedar Fever. For those of you who don't live in Central Texas, that is the most wicked allergy season you can imagine. So we thought we would plan for this. So all year long, we've been asking several of our previous guests the question that we will ask ourselves, what stories are we allergic to? Welcome back for a new year of Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaven.com in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory. I'm E. Stephen Burnett, and I publish Lorehaven, and I'm also the co-author of The Pop Culture Parent. And I'm Zachary Russell, and as a native Austinite, I am allergic to everything green and or fuzzy. So hopefully we won't see those kinds of things today in this episode. And this is episode 193, Are You Allergic to Some Fantastical Fiction? What do we mean by allergic? A lot of people, I think, Zach, will think about stuff that you're not supposed to read. In other words, an ingredient of the story that might be poison. In this case, we're not talking about poisonous or sinful elements of a story. We're talking about elements that just don't agree with you. Elements that make you feel all itchy and squirmy. Maybe you need to go blow your nose or do some other things. Just stuff that you could do without in a story. So we got to ask all throughout this year, several of our previous guest authors this question very talented very popular folks who nevertheless also have some allergies to particular kinds of stories we're going to get to hear from those folks and then reference their previous episodes as well so you can go back and catch the full interview during our 2023 season yeah i i think another term for this is just pet peeves you know there are a lot of tropes that you like and that you look forward to and then there's the ones you really hate. And then you go to tvtropes.com or whatever and, and say, oh yeah, that's why I didn't like that part. And oh, look, it's in these 10 other movies and I also didn't like those. And that explains everything. So that's the kind of thing that we talk about. But I, I do like the term story allergies because it's not necessarily a good or bad thing. It's just something that annoys you, like you said. Exactly. And that's about as negative as we get at Lorehaven, because uh, as our fans know, we, we like to find the best stories that we can, particularly Christian-made stories in fantastical or sci-fi or paranormal uh, type genres. And a lot of those stories may have elements that uh, make you uh, wrinkle your nose a little bit, uh, but we want to praise what is good and generally ignore what is bad, but also be realistic about the stuff that uh, may just disagree with some people. One story, however, that you will almost certainly agree is a great one is our top sponsor, returning champion, Oasis Family Media, which owns Enclave Publishing, and they have a new novel out on January the 9th, so one week from this episode's release day. It's called Water's Break by Sophia L. Hansen. What if fear itself is the deadliest undercurrent of all? In the wake of her world's violent reformation, Nika's family is shattered. When the rookie guardian leaves the safety of the deep to find her sister, she is abducted by strange land walkers who possess strength and technology beyond her imagination. Nika realizes that the disaster from above was by their design, a calculated plan to terraform the water planet and conquer her people. All Nika wants to do is find her sister and swim home to safety, but with the land walkers closing in, escape may not be possible. And if Nika can't save herself, how can she hope to save her sister or her people? Enclave Escape presents Waters Break by Sophia L. Hansen, and it's on sale January 9th this year, wherever great YA books are sold. You can also find that as an audiobook on CD from Amazon or in digital format on Audible, Spotify, and through libraries everywhere. Get more information in that cool cover in our show notes for episode 193, or for this and all the other sponsors, go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. Zach, this is the cover that you and I saw revealed at the Realm Makers last July for water's break. So if you can picture that cover right now, and uh, if you want, you can go see that at the links I mentioned. Uh, it looks to be a really good one there. So speaking of Oasis Family Media, that reminds me of the first guest we got to ask this question about story allergies. So we're just going to rewind the clock, cue up the flashback music, fuzzy the borders a bit, and uh, let's have ourselves a clip show. So last January, we talked with uh, Rebecca Reynolds, uh, the uh, adaptation artist behind uh, Edmund Spencer's Fairy Queen uh, prose adaptation of the poetic classic from the 1590s. Uh, we went back really quick to ask her, uh, in addition to loving uh, stories that uh, a lot of people find obscure, she teaches literature, she's read audiobooks for Oasis Audio, but we wanted to ask you, Rebecca, 
what stories, genres, tropes, etc., cetera, uh, trigger your allergies? Uh, what just makes you go, eh, I, I, I don't think I can get into that. I'm glad you enjoy it, but it makes me sneeze. <laughs> well, I don't think I'm ever going to be a big Quaker romance person. Actually, I'm certainly more dystopian literature than I used to because it seems to be more real. It used to be, oh, this terrible, this could happen. It's been new <laughs> to current events. Yeah, yeah. Some people have decided, let's have them all at once. So all of them at once, I suppose. Is it 1984? Is it Brave New World? Is it Fahrenheit 451? All of them at once, I suppose. Right, right. So it's not, yeah, that's not fun anymore. Moby Dick, uh, I just, I never could get into Moby Dick. It's a little tedious for me. And oh, yeah, like any kind of uh, book in which they have to sum up the point they just made through a story at the end when they're like, here's what I just taught you. And the story just taught you. And you should just let the story when they hyper do the ending that that really I don't like it. I think if it's the story is told well down. Yeah. Yeah. Condescending. Yeah. I like it in Veggie Tales. Yeah, Veggie Tales can get away because it's it's training. <laughs> veggie Tales, that's where there's training for children. But when Jesus Christ gets to the end and they go, oh, I don't really get it, and he will, you can just sort of hear him sigh and go, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And they're like, Yeah, but can you explain the part about the seeds? And he's like, Okay, I will go through point by point and say this equals that and that equals this. <laughs> yeah. But that's Jesus, as we discussed in our January conversation. That is Jesus stooping to our level, just as he did with the Incarnation, helping us to understand uh, these biblical realities that we really should have gotten when he was talking about it the first time through a metaphor. For our Forging Fantasy mini-series on the podcast, we had Robert Trescalard on. He's the author of the Merlin Spiral series and then the sequel series, the Pendragon Spiral series, exploring Arthurian legend in a fresh new way, uh, chronicling the origins of both Merlin as well as King Arthur. So we know then, Robert, that you're not allergic to learning about all these Celtic words, uh, blacksmithery, uh, all of these uh, different Welsh phrases and histories. What are some uh, story elements that uh, you are allergic to? Not anything wrong, just makes you makes you want to sneeze a little bit. Well, um, one of those I I was reading I was reading what yours were, Stephen, and and one of those was mine as well, which was the Nephilim. So um, just uh, it somehow just doesn't doesn't uh, get my imagination going. Uh, maybe it's because I I look at those scriptures in in Genesis and I I interpret them differently. And so, um, it, you know, it's a fun and fantastic thing to do, but it's never made me want to want to spend time reading those stories. But I appreciate the people that make those stories fantastic. Candace Cade was on the show for episode 154. Candace, uh, other than the uh, alien monster Nephilim enemies to lovers love triangle trope, uh, what are some elements of fantastical stories uh, that just uh, send you into the sniffles? Into the sniffles, I would have to say the insta-love trope. Mm. I think when you see these characters who meet and it's just, I'm in love, I need to get married right away. Um, I think that always distracts from the story that's being told. So probably I would say insta-love. You know, and it's funny how even Frozen made fun of that. Like, you can't marry someone you just met. Yes, <laughs> I like... loved that, that they called <laughs> it out and they told a really good story. Enchanted called it out first. I just want to say back in 2008 before Frozen was a gleam in anyone's eye. But yeah, I think people will mention insta-love in real life, but it is uh, survivorship bias that's talking there. The folks who are most likely to talk about it are the only folks talking about it. Everyone else just doesn't say anything. So it seems realistic, but it's not. Well, Stephen, very similar to what Candace said about insta-love, that's also one of my allergies. Uh, the way I put it is uh, sudden mutual romantic infatuation. And so, look, you can be attracted to people, that, but this is just not how real life works. People do not fall so deeply in love that they want to get married and spend the rest of their lives together. I mean, of course they may want to do other things first. And that's the other reason this is my allergy because usually this kind of trope is just an excuse for a bedroom scene or some other kind of sensuality. Sure. Do you do people, is there a hookup culture happening in real life? Well, of course. So maybe you can make the argument. This is reflecting one element of our culture. But it just feels like rushed storytelling more than anything else. Um, I, I think this is most common in movies that are 
like less than two hours where they're just trying to rush things along. And yeah, it's like if you don't have time to develop an actual relationship between two people, then why are you putting it in the story? Uh, but anyway, Candace covered that. I'm going to cover three other ones. So my, my first big allergy is sudden psychic powers, <laughs> particularly where this develops uh, similarly to like an unwanted temptation or a mental illness or something like it seems like a really weird metaphor for those things oftentimes. Uh, but the main problem is when this is like done in a really non-visual way, it's just happening in someone's head. Now, I'm all a fan of, you know, magic and especially movies where they show magic pretty well, but it, it's where this is all just invisible and, and someone's just struggling with this power. Oh, I didn't want to have this power and now I do. And it, it's just, uh, it's usually paired with these stories that are all about finding your identity. Okay. And I, I'm just not a big fan of those. I think it's just so overdone now. As far as books goes, this is a really common thing in Stephen King novels. Some apocalyptic event happens and everyone has psychic powers or just a few people or the chosen one has a psychic power all of a sudden and nobody knows how it happened. And it's just very unexplained. There was a new rendition of the War of the Worlds that was a TV series. This was on FX, I believe. And that kind of happened in there too, which seemed like a genre mismatch. It was you know, about an alien invasion. It's very sci-fi. And then all of a sudden a girl who is blind can now see, and she can also predict the future and have all these other psychic things that are just, it's really weird and cringe. Oh, so it's a girl who's the key to everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe yeah. another story allergy there. Yeah, that's a whole other one. Uh, Battlestar Galactica, the TV show, also kind of had this element where people could somehow communicate telepathically with other people. And again, this is a sci-fi. There's a lot of fan uproar about that, which I won't go into. And then uh, Star Wars, the sequels from Disney, you've got, um, you've got the whole Ray thing, which we don't have a whole a lot of time to go into, but yeah, just this uh, sudden Jedi master, but basically it was what happened. And I think the problem with all this is when there's a lack of character development, it's just like an instant hero or an instant, you know, magician or sorcerer, and there's no struggle to get there. There's no, there, there's no path that they're on where it's like two steps forward, one step back. I mean, sure, have a character who's powerful in a magical way, but let there be some interesting kind of journey that happens. It, it's just when it's handed to them, it's just boring. But but it's also just weird when it's just all in their head. So that kind of goes with the sudden mutual romantic thing. Um, another al- second allergy I have is when characters all sound the same. So this could be they're all using the same very niche uh, vocabulary to just having the same kind of snarky way of talking. It it just feels like a writer. Uh, but you can really see this in television shows sometimes. It's it's the Whedon effect, arguably. Yeah, yeah right. When every character sounds like the screenwriter or the director, uh, but it can even happen with just people using the same verbiage. So I really love the Expanse uh, book series, but in book nine, there was a couple of terms that these characters who are totally disconnected from each other all start using. And it's like, did they all get the memo that this is the term they're supposed to use now? And it wasn't like a political thing. It was more of like a technical thing. Uh, That's what I was thinking. It was a mainstream media meme where suddenly somebody's memo or somebody popular uttered the catchphrase and suddenly everyone starts saying it. And like, it does feel, are are you all being controlled by the same psychic hive mind uh, from the earlier allergy you mentioned? Yeah. Oh, exactly. There's a great compilation I've seen on, on Twitter where it's like all these local news stations, they're all reading the same script about misinformation and the news or something and they're all owned by the same conglomerate even though they're all like local news stations and someone like pieced all these together where they're all like repeating the same things that was creeptastic yeah so it's sort of that effect in terms of like the same snarky tone of voice that's most john scalzi books to be honest they all sound the same to each other and to other characters in other books so you know that guy has a lot of great ideas. His books, frankly, feel half baked because I think he just spends all his time arguing with people on Twitter about politics. So 
you know, just spend some more time editing there, John. I, I like where you're going with your stories, but you need to flesh these out some more. And then uh, Naomi and I were watching an Amazon Prime show recently. It's this spy thriller. I'll have to think of the, the title here in a minute. But everyone was using the same cuss words. And it wasn't like, I mean, it was basically the F word, but it was like some other words that I'm like, why is everyone swearing the same way? Like people don't swear the same way. And a lot of people don't swear at all, but every character was swearing and exactly the same way. So I, I just don't, I don't understand why that they do that. But again, it's just, it's kind of the sloppy writing. The third allergy I'll mention is a misuse or abuse of tension. So tension is what moves the story forward. To get a little bit into the weeds of of writing theory here, uh, but if you don't have a reason to keep turning the page or keep watching or binging the show, you're just going to pause and you're going to put it down. There has to be something you're anticipating, right? There has to be something that you want to see what happens. And sometimes a story has no tension. It's just kind of one thing happens after another. Uh, and it's like, literally you could just tell the whole story that way. Like, Oh, then one thing led to another. And then the end, <laughs> the, the way this looks in a book is when the end of a chapter just kind of ends with a thud. Like it's like everything is tied up in a neat little bow and it feels like the story's over in the Lorehaven guild. We've been talking about a lot of Brandon Sanderson books, which I'm a big fan of, but honestly, uh, his first book in the skyward series called just skyward the first half or so of the book kind of felt this way where the chapters would just kind of end in a kind of a thud, like kind of a, a whisper. I thought about this book cause my teenage girls are reading this right now. And, and one of them kind of noticed this. She, she couldn't quite put her finger on it, but she's like, yeah, it's okay. But I, I found with that book that even though I was enjoying the story, I kept putting it down for days or weeks at a time where, and I'd be like, wait, why did I put this down? And I'd, flip back to the end of the previous chapter. I'm like, oh yeah, it just kind of, it, it just kind of wrapped up too neatly. Um, now the opposite end of this and <laughs> kind of the dark uh, end of this is where every chapter or episode ends on a horrible cliffhanger. <laughs> and this would be the early 2000s TV series Alias uh, by J.J. Abrams. And uh, I, I've watched this series actually a couple of times, but I watched it more recently with Naomi and she kind of came up with this rule. She's like, okay, we're going to watch the first 10 minutes of the next episode and then we'll stop it because they resolve everything (laughs) from the previous episode, but they, they do this to make you binge the whole series. And yeah, I, I really got sick of that because I'm like, we got to go to bed. Like we can't keep watching this. But of course that's how they're designing it to keep you hooked. And I, I don't like being manipulated that way. But I also just don't like, uh, you know, some amount of resolution. You got to have some sort of resolution. And, and, you know, all that to say, look, this is obviously why writing is hard and why TV and movies are hard is you've got to strike that balance of of wanting some tension to move it forward, but enough resolution where you feel like, okay, I really want to read the next chapter, but I I feel satisfied for now, or I really want to stop binging the show so I I can go to bed. I still, I'm thinking about what's going to happen next. Interesting you bring that up, Zach. Uh, over the holiday break, I've been working on a, a project of my own. So I've been going over some of these mechanics as well. That, uh, well, that tension between having a little tension at the end of a chapter uh, versus having no tension at all. And so it almost feels self-contained, uh, even if it's not actually self-contained, versus the whole end with a cliffhanger. And, and now you feel manipulated as opposed to not being driven forward at all. So it is a difficult uh, balancing act, and I think uh, hopefully the best storytellers can tell in the middle before they've finished the thing and sent it off to the printers or whatever, uh, that this thing uh, has a bad case of what Harry Potter fans would call arresto momentum. Uh, You want to make sure to catch that uh, dragging feel in the middle of making the story in order to correct it early. Uh, And then uh, otherwise, if you let too much of that stuff in, uh, it can slow the entire book. uh, And then you really do uh, experience that phenomenon of putting the book down over and over. And so instead of the endorsement that says, this book is amazing, I couldn't put it down. Like this book was just okay. I kept putting it down. Well, even if it's okay and you keep putting it down, uh, does that qualify it as a bad book? Well, maybe somebody else can generate their own momentum or maybe the uh, reader recommendation about that amazing finale 
uh, is enough to keep you going. I know I've I've continued a few stories that way just because people said, okay, just wait until you know like about the halfway point, and then it really gets going. And then sometimes they're even right. And I can think of a few actually uh, anime uh, that are like that as well. So some of these stories that don't make the cut, uh, I think that they are uh, fixing for a culling, which brings me to our second sponsor, Anthony DeGroot. <laughs> are you looking for the next Christian series you could get into? This series starts with The Culling Begins, a fictional story about 12 spirit oaks who guard Eden from the great deceiver. After standing for as long as anyone can remember, the spirit oaks begin to vanish from the world and two opposing forces begin to clash. The Spirit Oak Chronicles will take you on a journey of faith, courage, and horror, all to save Eden. The Calling Begins by Anthony DeGroot. This is the first installment of the Spirit Oak Chronicles, and it is available in paperback and ebook wherever books are sold. Get those links and see the cool cover in our show notes for episode 193 or lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. Zach, you mentioned earlier uh, this whole phenomenon of the sudden psychic powers. I think our previous guest handled this trope a whole lot better uh, in her book, Calculated, and the very popular series, which takes me into our second round of flashbacks. So let's just listen for our voices to echo into the background as the flashback begins. Back in April, novelist Nova McBee of the Calculated books and soon-to-be film franchise stopped by to share updates about that thriller saga. But we'd like to invite her back real quick then to ask Nova, what are your story allergies? Wow, I have one major story allergy. There are a few little ones out there, but the major one that always seems to, yeah, like make me uh, start twitching um, is insta love oh. it, it is the insta love where i i need to see the development for this to be believable for me i am so allergic to the insta love or there's zero reason for these two people to like each other there's zero reason like obviously insta attraction is a thing but the insta love and like, I trust this person and I want to be with this person for the rest of my life within two weeks or a few days of knowing them. I, that is a major allergy. To well, me. and the, the dead giveaway in movies, especially if it's like, I can't explain it, but I trust this person or I have to be with this. It's like, well, yeah, the, I can't explain it was the placeholder that the screenwriter <laughs> put in that he should have filled in with the actual reason. Yes. <laughs> so the it, movie it can, can be solved. Fair enough. Yeah. It can be solved with a reason. But you yeah. need to have a reason you got it. And then also the, the, the allergies that are all related to Insta love is like, they're like mad one moment, but then the next moment they're, they're willing to die for them. I'm like, again, you didn't resolve. Like those things drive me nuts. I work very hard not to do those things. Thank you. Bless you. That is not how humanity works. Yeah. Just beware that trope in real life and in fiction. And even thank you so much. Even Disney has picked up on this with Frozen. You know, you can't just marry someone you just met. And they picked up on that in Enchanted first. Enchanted did it first. Enchanted did it first. And I will always remind people. Yeah. So Insta Love, watch out for it. It doesn't happen. (laughs) Not really. Uh, If it does, you're the exception and it's a selection bias. So please be on your guard against that trope. (laughs) Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Last May, we had author Mike Duran of Christians and Conspiracy Theories conspiring in the studio. So we thought we'd have him back real quick and ask you, Mike, I can't imagine you would have one of these. But Mike Duran, what are your story allergies? Story allergy for sure. The strong female character. Oh, you're canceled now. You misogynist. Hey, hey, Ripley was right on she rocked it and everything after that was downhill it's like now i want to see the traditional strong woman i mean give me a amish milkmaid and i'll be happy now but you know no more strong women with guns and big biceps and tattoos and foul language and beaten up ninja guys nah not interested yeah, I have a theory about why that resonates with you and even me and a lot of others. It's because she was protecting Newt, the little child, the girl, <laughs> could along, be. With, along with a cat. You know, the cat helps. And it's similar to Sarah Connor protecting John Connor. Yeah, Newt. yeah. Also being this uh, awesome, you know, warrior smoking the Terminators. But 
I, I think it's that sort of that separation of these strong women from any other significant relationship that makes it just so boring. It's like, you're okay. You're a strong woman that beat up all 10 bad guys, but why? <laughs> like yeah. just to prove yourself and I, anything you can do, I can do better. But you know, the, the, the action heroes of the past were, were much better. Hey, you know, my, I watched my wife give birth to four kids and I can't imagine anything being more bad bleep than that. Yeah. All fan correspondence can be directed to Mike Duran.com. <laughs> <laughs> so last summer, B.L. Dean joined the show to share how science fiction helps us escape the real world gravities, uh, along with her series Shades of Starlight. But we're inviting her back real quick to ask about her story allergies. Becky, are there any uh, space dusts in particular stories, genres, plot elements that just uh, make you sneeze a little bit? So because I do read a lot of fantasy, this is no insult to your readers who like these or writers who have written them. But if I see a story with angels or demons that are made too human, for example, a romance with a human or getting too involved in human affairs in a way that's anti-biblical, those tend to be turnoffs for me. Mm, Yes. I mean, in a sense, that is blasphemy, right? You are taking something holy and bringing it down to like a mundane level where below that where it should be. So yeah, that that's definitely bothered me too. I I want to see stories with angels and demons, but where they are accurate. And you know, there's that meme of like the biblically accurate uh, angel where it's like all the eyes, all the wings the and the eyes and the parts. Yeah, yes, like, yeah. Yes. There are definitely some freaky angels. I mean, they also appear as just normal people. They're not always with wings or whatnot. But I mean, angels are pretty terrifying. And so angels are not only terrifying, but they're not the same as humans. And so an angel human romance bothers me in the fact that they are supposed to have missions from God. And then the demon one, obviously, there's nothing in the Bible that says that demons can be redeemed. And so to have a a human romance with those also, like those are just turnoffs for me. So demons do not uh, anti-fall and if an angel falls he becomes a demon not a handsome hunk who looks like nicholas cage <laughs> there's Amen. lots of yes. room for biblical speculation <laughs> about angels and maybe even some demons here and there but yeah the romance trope but thank you i think we share an allergy there becky i, I certainly share that with you and for this allergy it seems there is no antihistamine Okay, so <laughs> Nicolas Cage, if you're listening, this is a chance for you to redeem yourself. You, you know, you went on, you, you had that City of Angels movie, which we, you know, we'll we'll let it slide because then you're left behind. But you could totally redeem yourself by a biblically accurate movie about angels. So there you go, Nicolas Cage, make it happen. Well, Mike Duran had a lot of interesting things to say about conspiracies, which leads me to my story allergies. I'm going to try to go quickly here because folks don't get me started. Why do you think I try so hard uh, to have a whole lore haven project dedicated to the best stories? Because if I get my lead to go into the things that I don't like, I just turn into a nitpicky snob. Then all of a sudden I'm on YouTube with hundreds of thousands of subscribers and my entire income is based on criticizing everything. I don't want to do that, uh, even if it means I don't go full time with this stuff yet. So anyway, my story allergy number one, I think everybody could guess this, Nephilim. Yep, sorry, Blurry Creatures fans. Yes, Nephilim everywhere. I'm not saying it was Nephilim, but it was Nephilim. (laughs) I am so tired of these creatures. And the worst part, like not to pick on Christians, they're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And yes, I know. Nephilim are in Genesis 6 and possibly all throughout the Bible. In fact, the whole Bible isn't about Jesus and that gospel stuff. It's all about Nephilim and the aliens and what they're hiding. And I'm being sarcastic. Uh, It's more the secular version of this that I cannot stand. I've seen a few secular YA books, or at least the back covers of them, that reference the Nephilim, which is just this cool word that someone pulled out of a supposedly obscure part of the Bible, kind of like the Anakim, a la George Lucas. Someone went and found the Nephilim, and then they got a little whiff of this whole Book of Enoch thing, and they thought, oh, that sounds like a cool sort of biblical thing where it's an angel-human hybrid. And I go, no. No, 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 no. I, regardless of what you think of Genesis 6, the entire story of the gospel is not about angel-human hybrids. In fact, angels are somewhat incidental in the plot line of Scripture. Sorry, Brian Gadawa, I think we have a disagreement there. 
it's not all about the principalities in the shadow realm or whatever. Like it is about Jesus conquering the beast of human sin and uh, defeating death once and for all. That's the main plot line. Everything else is uh, at best Easter eggs to be revealed at a future time. So I'm not a huge fan of Nephilim. Uh, and yet we still get a lot of Christian-made stories that are about either the pre-flood world or some kind of Nephilim theory or both. So it may float your boat. That's why this is not a sin I'm condemning. It's just something that makes me kind of get all itchy and uh, uh, squirrely, and I don't want to read it. So um, send your Michael Heiser books to Stephen at Lorehaven. <laughs> yes, sure. All the, <laughs> In memory of the late, great Michael Heiser. Yes. All right. Another thing that makes me break out all in a rash is excessive whimsy. Now, this has been wrongly construed as Stephen doesn't like whimsical stories. Tis not so. I like whimsy as a seasoning, just like I like horror and romance as a seasoning. Real life is full of all three, but I don't go to my novels for real life now, do I? I go to things for things that I can't get in real life. And so if all I get is, is whimsy, you know, something like a Hallmark movie, I guess, and maybe I'm being a little stereotypical here. Um, it's not realistic. I, I, cannot, I cannot lose myself in a story like that. When everything is whimsical, nothing is. Uh, I want the whimsy at the edges of a story, just like uh, it is at the edges of real life. Another thing I dislike is flippant subversion. I do not like when someone tramples all over tropes or good versus evil themes or the expected uh, result of the conversation. I, I don't like when someone steps on that and then winks at the audience as if to say, ha ha, I am uh, the smart director who is too good for this sort of thing. But critics, this is my little shout out to you. I'm doing this for the money. So please, please positively review the movie so it can get uh, up to a billion dollars in revenue and then I can do my passion project with the same studio someday. That's the kind of thing that just to me, like, I mean, all props to directors who want to do their passion projects, but don't step on the genre. Don't make yourself um, the wise guy uh, in order to get there. Um, it makes me become a bit of an anti-fan of you. And a lot of these kinds of directors, unfortunately, have kind of ended up killing uh, the superhero movies lately. Uh, the superheroes can fight all their villains in the movies, but when they're up against this kind of flippant subversion, uh, there isn't a single one of these powerful enough to survive. A close cousin of this one, dumb, quippy dialogue. Zach, you already talked about this one, where all the characters sound alike, and I do blame Joss Whedon for this, because everybody way overrated that first season of Firefly and some of the other Whedon stuff, and then suddenly for a while, in the, in the 2000s really, it was, there was this, this idea that every single character was supposed to be constantly quipping and doing these clever turns of phrase, and when every line of dialogue is supposed to be meme-worthy or quotable on IMDb, then nothing is use that stuff as seasoning too. people do not always talk that way in real life. Like you said, Zach, like some characters are a little bit quicker with the quip, uh, but others are just kind of quiet and basic. And mm. like, we need those characters to stay grounded. Just like we need that in real life. Yeah. I, I blame John Stewart actually for all of John. This. Okay. Well, <laughs> blame John Stewart for basically everything. It's, it's, it's John, it's Joss Whedon, John Stewart, and possibly Obama. Stephen so Colbert. Th thanks even, Whedon. You know. Thanks, Stephen Colbert. Thanks, you guys. Like, yeah, it's it's this whole everything is comedy. Well, once again, the syndrome quote: if everything is comedy, then nothing is. And then I would refer once again to my quote from Screw Tape about flippancy. It is the laziest joke in the world. Don't do it. I did have one other thing on here. I haven't seen as much of this lately since I stopped watching the CW superhero shows. I think they're all been canceled by now anyway. But force secret keeping drama. Uh, this is just the, that thing where, you know, why didn't the two characters just talk about this? Well, no, the one character wanted to keep the secret identity from the other character because he didn't want to hurt her. Or, or the one character like knew what they was look like, uh, but he uh, didn't want to tell uh, or she didn't want to tell him because uh, it, it would uh, cause a complete resolution to the plot within five minutes. And then we wouldn't have a 45 minute show. Uh, so I don't like the four secret keeping drama. It makes sense to keep some secrets, for example, for national security. Uh, but when you're just keeping secrets to generate the drama uh, and make the fangirls happy, not guys, don't disrespect the fans like that. Don't disrespect the fangirls. If they like it, they're on to your game. Um, maybe this one's dying. And if so, uh, then I will be the happiest to scoop another shovel full of dirt uh, onto that particular trope grave. Yeah, I really don't like the secret thing when it's children being forced to keep secrets from parents. And this is actually something Naomi and I talk regularly to mm. our kids about. And, so it's uh, actually I, dangerous there. That's a really yeah. good point. 
Naomi points this out all the time in movies, and now the kids can like spot it for themselves. But uh, on a more positive example of this, uh, I was just listening recently to the uh, Focus on the Family radio theater drama of Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe with my two little kids. And we got to the scene where Edmund meets the White Witch, and she tells him to bring back all his siblings, but to not tell them about her. She's like, it'll be a secret. There'll be a party. And then I, I pause it and I said to my kids, was that a good secret or a bad secret? They're like, oh, that was a bad secret. You know, they just knew instinctively that's, that's not the kind of secret you should keep, uh, even though it's for supposedly a party. But there's these diabolical motives at work. And, you know, that's, that's kind of the phraseology we use with them, good secrets, bad secrets. And, and adults don't need children to keep secrets for them, right? That's the sign of a predator, actually. Actually, it's just what I was thinking. Uh, it's yeah. it's not just a rebellion against parents thing, but it is a protect yourself from evildoers thing. Yeah, yeah. Lacey and I were watching The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe uh, because it is a Christmas movie. We were watching that mm -hmm. again. And I was noticing all over again that, yes, Lucy tells everything. When Lucy discovers Narnia in the wardrobe, mm -hmm. she does not keep the secret. She tells everybody everything from start to finish, and they don't point. believe her because it's so absurd. Now, there's some different sort of drama there. The honest person is punished for being honest, but then Edmund, who does keep secrets, uh, in particular is harboring his rebellion, uh, he's the one who ends up uh, being punished ultimately, and, and Lucy ends up being vindicated. So you get your drama effect there, uh, even with people behaving more virtuously and not just uh, keeping secrets for the drama of it. Okay, so I I'm totally with you about the quippy stuff, the uh, the excessive whimsy. I, I'm right there, but I have a question for you. So so first of all, I want to say you've converted me to the Snyderverse. Like I'm much more fan now of DC than I am of Marvel for all of those reasons. But I am so curious about Doctor Who in One Piece because to me those are way too whimsical and silly. And like I've tried to get into those, and I. I just can't, but I know you're a big fan of those. Well, so don't even get into do Doctor that? Who now. We'll talk about that in our next episode. <laughs> I would categorize that as whimsy at the edges, whimsy as okay. seasoning. Now, the premise of Doctor Who is pretty whimsical, but there is enough darkness and seriousness uh, and even some horror uh, in mm. Doctor Who to offset that. And the same is true for One Piece. Now, One Piece is actually one of those stories where you literally have to watch maybe 30 episodes, and it's a very older animation style originally. Uh, to get through that but maybe you're talking about the live action yeah um, yeah there is whimsy in there you know but at least in that first episode they actually signal this to a fault by having a swordsman basically behead uh, a, a villain uh, just to signal for the show hey guys like yeah we're going to be all whimsical and mm -hmm. goofy but we're also going to take things seriously uh, there's real darkness in the one piece world as goofy and silly as it is and so i would say that that is the as the exception, it proves uh, the rule. There's a lot of whimsy in One Piece, and it was a learning curve for me. Uh, but the whole thing is not just whimsical. Um, I guess, actually, a good comparison there might be actually Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Mm. Uh, now, I haven't seen the new Wonka movie, but uh, actually it's getting some pretty high marks, which is what I would expect from the director of the Paddington movies, which are also whimsical. But there's some profundity, uh, profundity uh, in, in those stories as well. And uh, there's a little bit of that in the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie, but I'm not a big fan of that movie either because it just the darkness seems kind of mean spirited and it's sort of a dark whimsical. And you know, that and some of the Dr. Seuss stuff does kind of trip my allergies a little bit. I'm not sure why One Piece doesn't. Uh, maybe I just got some antihistamines just in time. I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> if you're talking about the live the live action One Piece, with the exception of that dumb butt in the first episode, just yeah, just skip that. Um, keep going, and 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 you will you will almost certainly uh hit hit the moment when it starts working for you uh i'm almost uh, almost certain of that ah well maybe you are a writer and you want to avoid uh some of these uh, things that will make most people sneeze now something you write is going to make uh, somebody sneeze so don't worry about that but in order to get good at it you will want a course like this one from our third sponsor ej kitchens the i write how to write a novel course are you looking for a fun yet challenging writing class for your teen or yourself I write how to write a novel is an online writing course that will teach you how to write novels that your friends and even strangers will want to read how to overcome writer's block and gather ideas and much more mentorship option is also available to go along with the course. I write is taught by EJ kitchens, a professional copy editor, former college lab instructor and award nominated author of the star clock chronicles and magic collectors books. 
For more information and to enroll, visit ejkitchens.com slash courses. You can also find that link and some art in our show notes for episode 193 or at lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. That's a very New Year's resolution-y uh, sponsor there for those of you who uh, maybe want to up your creator game uh, in the new year. Uh, somebody who helps us up our game as well is our guest from episode 176. Let's roll back the clock once again uh, for our final batch of folks who uh, were willing to share some of their story allergies. So back in August for our Back to Magic School series, we had Ted Turneau, author of the new book, Oasis of Imagination, a nonfiction book about Christians creating great stories and songs in popular culture to build bridges with their neighbors as cultural missionaries. Ted, however, uh, you read and watch and listen to a lot of great stuff. But Ted, even you have some uh, story allergies, like some fiction themes uh, you just can't get into. Uh, what would those be? I don't know if it's a fiction theme. Uh, there's a type of television I can't get into. I teach a class called Understanding Media Fandom, and the students there must do a presentation on their given fandom and, and something about something from fan theory with how, uh, about this. And one year, uh, a group of girls from New York did their presentation on keeping up with the Kardashians. And oh I listened to, they said, can we play this? And I, I said, sure. And so they played the first 10 minutes of, uh, of an episode in which Kim loses her $10,000 ring on a beach and tries to find it. And we're in supposed a classroom. to, yeah, yeah, yeah. In a classroom and try and, and, <laughs> and then the next part of it is, you know, Kim's mom poses for playboy and Kim is shocked. And, and I, it, it was the longest 10 minutes of my life. And I was like, finally, I said, okay, guys, thank you. Thank you. Um, I think that's, that's enough. Thank you. Thank you for that. And they explained how they found it so relatable that, that the Kardashians are like people they know and they're like friends in the background. And to me, it was just like scratching nails across a blackboard for 10 minutes. It was so painful. And so I'm not a big fan of reality television and anything having to do with a Kardashian. I'm, I'm going to bail pretty soon. I've learned my lesson. No more. I, and I'm, I might just say that I'm teaching the class again this semester. And I'm like, okay, so you do a fan, uh, a fan presentation. No Kardashians. That's what I'm going to say. No Kardashians, but Kardashians from Star Trek Deep Space Nine are perfectly okay. I think that those reptilian creatures can reveal a whole lot more about human natures. Sorry about that, Ted. Uh, definitely, there are troubles and sufferings associated with being a cultural missionary, but we're glad that you're out there doing that anyway. Thank you, brother. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Last fall, Sarah Ella, author of the Curious Realities series with the Wonderland Trials and the Looking Glass Illusion, stepped through the wardrobe to share how fictional stories can reflect these curious realities. But Sarah, you like a lot of fairy tales. I'm curious whether in all these worlds that explored, uh, you have uh, breathed in some fairy dust uh, that gave you an allergic reaction to the story trope or motif or theme or anything uh, that just uh, turns into a pet peeve for you. Absolutely. And I would say that would be shock value for shock value's sake. I am all about twists and turns and cliffhangers and jaw dropping moments and stories. But if it doesn't fit the natural progression of the story, and it's in there for an agenda, or sometimes it seems like it's in there because the writer or director of the film could not figure out a better way to end it, my disbelief is no longer suspended. And I find that that annoys me or uh, makes me sneeze, I guess, uh, <laughs> more than anything else. We saw this in Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull where it was aliens the whole time. And we, we see it a lot in TV shows that kill off characters because that person is going on to something else. And it just, it doesn't make sense to me. You know that it's in there because for whatever reason, but it doesn't fit the storyline. I think when that happens, I, it definitely turns turns me off, makes me grab the tissues, uh, grab a little bit of Benadryl because I am definitely allergic to stories that uh, have shock value for shock value's sake. 
So I'm actually going to cut in for this one because we have one exception to the recorded segments, and that was author Carolyn Leilaglu from episode 181. She was kind enough to answer our question, hey, what are your story allergies, by emailing her response. And here's what she said back then, quote, I'm pretty tired of the trope that every middle grade hero needs an obsession that defines their entire personality. While some kids have obsessions, no one's personality completely centers on a single thing. By all means, give characters interests and hobbies and quirks, but let them be more rounded so they don't become a stereotype. End quote. From there, let's go to our uh, final guest from episode 184. Back in the fall for spooky season, we had Mark Schooley right into the studio to talk about his problem of evil novel with Nazis and plant creatures in the dark forest, Koenig's Fire. Mark, I think a lot of people may have some allergies to plant men shambling about going, woo, but for you, what are your story allergies? Well, hey, just off the top of my head, I'm 8,000 years old, so I don't really like reading about teenagers that much, you know, and <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's great and all. I mean, I, I think uh, there has been some of those that perhaps I like, but that I'm kind of allergic to that. But I'll tell you what, the the genre, the types of characters, the tropes, all of that kind of stuff, I'm really kind of okay with because if somebody tells a good story, it's going to work. See, story's king, uh, no matter what. Uh, you, Take everything, all the rules, throw them out the window. Story's king. If it's a good story, guess what? It works for whatever trope you want to use. That's why sometimes you see the most overdone, overbaked type story come out, and it's like, man, this is good in spite of it. Why is that? Characters are compelling, stories told, and, and it just and it just works. It works no matter the age of the human characters, just so long as they're behaving like humans. They will remind us of the real world, whether or not they're teenagers or older people, German officers, uh, or bad guys out in a prison mine. Mark, thanks for stopping by. Oh, thanks for having me. Much obliged. Well, Stephen, it's funny to hear from Mark that his allergy is teenagers. <laughs> I think a lot of... Uh, People in their middle age uh, would, would say that, uh, regardless of whether we're talking about stories or not. But it is kind of a funny thing nowadays that a lot of YA fiction is written by and for people in their 30s and 40s. It's not, not really written for teenagers anymore. And I wonder if that's actually what he's allergic to. It, it's how these coming-of-age stories have taken on a really weird twist because publishers have said, hey, if we put all these elements in here that some of us are allergic to, yeah, we'll get a lot wider reading audience, and suddenly it's no longer about the kids <laughs> in the story. But uh, speaking of a teenager that we want to highlight in a positive way, Stephen, I got the most encouraging email from uh, this young man named Joseph, and he sent me an email and said, quote, I just wanted to reach out to thank you for hosting the Fantastical Truth podcast. I'm a 19-year-old Christian writer from Canada. I write middle grade scary stories that give kids courage to face the scary things in their own lives. I first came across Fantastical Truth after meeting someone from Lorehaven at the Right to Publish to conference last June. She mentioned the podcast to me. I've been so blessed by the podcast. I love the perspectives on stories you and Stephen share, and I found it very helpful as an aspiring author myself. Thank you for making this podcast and sharing your biblical insights on fantastical stories. I'm excited to keep listening. End quote. Thank you so much, Joseph, for that email. That's, uh, that really blesses me. And to you, our listener, we would love to know. Uh, you can send us an email about this question. What story substances make you sneeze? So send us a note at podcast at lorehaven.com comment on our show notes page on lorehaven.com or anywhere you find us on social media. We'll have these questions on our show notes page and in the Lorehaven Guild. And we'll have some other questions too that you can interact with if you'd like to. So send us a note. Meanwhile, at Lorehaven, uh, maybe you have some reading resolutions this year, in which case uh, we are the place to find the best Christian-made fantastical novels with reviews every Friday, podcast episodes every Tuesday, excepting holiday breaks, uh, and any other news and articles we can find time for in between. And you can subscribe free at lorehaven.com 
perhaps best of all, that also gets you exclusive access to the Lorehaven Guild, our castle in the cloud using the Discord platform, where we undertake book quests every month uh, through the best Christian-made fantastical novels we can find. This month, January of the new year, 2024, we're starting our book quest into The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. That's book three in the Chronicles of Narnia series. So a lot of you probably already have that book and you have probably already read that book. But now is a great time to read it again and even better, read it with other heroes. There is nothing like joining other fans to, as Lewis himself said, jaw about Narnia. And I've been going through The Voyage of the Dawn Treader again myself. And it's weird, Zach, how many questions I can come up with for this little, simple children's book. Once you start uh, reading in between the lines or just reading the lines, uh, you find so many character moments and mythological references uh, illuminated. And it's going to be even more fun to pull those out along with other heroes. So subscribe free at Lorehaven. Get your exclusive access for the Lorehaven Guild. And that'll also help launch you into whatever reading resolutions you want to try in the new year. Next on Fantastical Truth, we like books here, but occasionally we break form and we talk about to movies and to shows as well. And last year, wow, we saw so many films flop that it's not even funny. Disney, Marvel, DC Comics, Star Wars, Doctor Who, all the usual suspects once again seem to get paid more in exposure than actual revenues. But we did see several breakout movie wins in the year 2023. For example, that's the best one. Spoiler alert. What did we love? What did we ignore? And what did we just cringe at? And how can Christians best discern the supposed get woke, go broke stories and their critics? That's the topic of our next podcast episode this coming Tuesday. Meanwhile, hey, take some antihistamines if a story is making you allergic. Uh, maybe it's worth it to go outside and find something new, but it's okay to not like stuff. If something uh, makes you uh, feel all sneezy and itchy and allergic, uh, much more so if a story actually attracts you towards sin, it's okay to put it away, be kind, be maybe even critical, but don't be a jerk as we find the best stories and maybe bypass the ones that aren't so great and we continue to seek and find Christ's fantastical truth. 